Hey there, listeners. Thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Art Wright, and I'm the senior pastor here at Williamsburg Baptist Church. This is the sermon for Palm Sunday, March 28, 2021. The sermon text is Luke 19, 28-44. We've been journeying through this season of Lent with Jesus as he makes his way from Galilee to Jerusalem, and today is the final, finally the day that he makes his grand entrance into this city. We do hope that this sermon will be meaningful for you on your own spiritual journey. We'd love to connect if you're interested in reaching out. You can send me an email at pastor at williamsburgbaptist.com, or you can head over to our website, www.williamsburgbaptist.com, to find out more about us and our congregation. In the meantime, we're so grateful that you're listening. Blessings to you as we move into this Holy Week together. Imagine for a moment with me that you're a devout Jewish person living in the year 30. The annual Passover festival is approaching. It's a celebration that Jewish families have observed for more than a thousand years by now. Families and individuals that could would leave behind their work to make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the week-long celebration. And so you and your family would join the mass migration of thousands of other families, walk with thousands of other families, walking toward Jerusalem, many with a sheep or goat in tow that you'd eventually offer for sacrifice in the temple. According to the Roman historian Tacitus, the holy city normally held something like 600,000 residents. But during the Passover festival, as it began, the population would swell to as many as 2 million. And so when you arrive, the city is packed. Streets are crowded, and excitement is in the air, all for the Passover festival. This is a festival in which the Jewish people remember the exodus from Egypt. It's where we get the the second book of the Bible, Exodus. When Moses leads the Israelites out of captivity, Passover asks us to remember. Remember, we were slaves in Egypt, living under the thumb of the Pharaoh. Remember, God saved us by sending plagues, and we escaped from Pharaoh's tyranny and from his armies. Remember, the empire of Egypt could not hold us captive and enslaved forever. Remember, God led us out of slavery and oppression and defeated the armies of Pharaoh at the Red Sea. God liberated us before, and God will do it again. In the year 30, it wasn't Egypt, but the Roman Empire that controlled and conquered most, that had conquered most of the Jewish people, their world, and occupied their nation. The empire spanned the breadth of the known world. And yet, popular Jewish belief held that sooner or later, God would send a Messiah to defeat the Roman overlords and establish a free Jewish nation. How do you think the Roman overlords felt with two million or so pilgrims flooding into this sacred city to celebrate a festival of liberation? 
as you as pilgrim arrive, Jerusalem is a political tinderbox waiting for someone to strike a match and set it on fire. And this is the backdrop as Jesus prepares to enter the city for Passover. We've been journeying with Jesus now this season of Lent in the Gospel of Luke for 10 chapters as he's as he makes his way from Galilee to Jerusalem. In Luke 9:51 the text said and Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. And our scripture reading today marks the moment where he finally makes his grand entrance into the holy city. His disciples go and find a donkey and bring it to him, and that's a whole nother conversation for a whole nother day. How did he know there would be a donkey? What in the world did the donkey's owner think? (laughs) You know, who knows? But his disciples find it and bring it, just like Jesus said. The disciples place cloaks on the animal, and Jesus sits on it, and they move forward down the path from the Mount of Olives and into the city of Jerusalem itself. Now, I think it's helpful to pay attention to this. Jesus doesn't need a steed. He could walk into the holy city like everybody else, but he chooses to ride one intentionally to evoke the words of the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you triumphant and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Crowds see him coming, and those of them that are on the lookout for a Messiah figure are no doubt familiar with the Zechariah text. They've heard of this great teacher and miracle worker named Jesus, and so they think maybe this is who we've been waiting for. And so they line the pathway into the holy city. And they greet him like a king. In my mind, I can't help but imagine hundreds, if not thousands, of pilgrims lining the road. They spread their cloaks on the ground for him. And not in Luke, but in the other three Gospels, they wave branches, palms in the air, a symbol of victory for a conquering general or an emperor. And as they do, they begin to chant and sing the words of Psalm 118, which is a song of royal triumph and victory. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. If you're a Roman supporter in the crowd, you have got to be getting anxious at this point. The crowd seems to think that Jesus is coming into the city to overthrow their Roman overlords and inaugurate a new and independent Jewish kingdom. It's no wonder that the Pharisees in verse 39 complain, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. If you all keep doing this, there's no doubt that Rome is going to come and crush us with her legions of soldiers. It turns out their fears are not unfounded because it just so happens that during the days leading up to Passover, 
another processional is taking place on the other side of the city. The Roman governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, the one who will eventually execute Jesus, makes his home on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, so farther to the west of Jerusalem. It's, uh, the city is called Caesarea Maritima. It's lovely. It's easy access by boat to Rome. There's a fabulous harbor there and a delightful sea breeze. Greco-Roman culture and temples to various Greco-Roman gods dot the city. It's a lot more pleasant for someone like Pilate than the crowded, landlocked Jewish capital. But Pilate knows that the festival of Passover is volatile and the crowd could get out of hand. And so he makes his own annual pilgrimage of sorts to Jerusalem, he and his throngs of soldiers, to keep an eye out for any trouble, lest these hundreds or thousands of religious pilgrims get any crazy ideas about a revolt. So imagine Pilate entering from the west of the city, a grand military parade with a multitude of infantry, infantry soldiers marching in step with one another, wearing shining helmets agleam in the sun, carrying weapons and banners. Behind them are rows and rows of cavalry adorned with gleaming armor, riding atop tall, muscular war horses. And the sounds of marching and drums fill the air for Pilate's processional, and crowds of spectators line the road to, to watch them enter, no, no doubt. Pilate himself rides a war horse, decked out in his finest military regalia, with sword strapped to his side, and all of this to convey this message to the people of Jerusalem. Don't even think about getting out of line. You can celebrate your silly Passover festival, but then go back to your normal lives. We Romans are here to stay. Pilate's procession into Jerusalem is a threat to everyone who watches. Remember, we own you in your land. Remember, if you get out of line, we'll bring all the violence we can muster to bear on you. Remember, if you so much as threaten to start a revolt, we will kill you. Whatever you do, we, Rome, are going to have the last word. So can you see it on this Palm Sunday of all days? There are two would-be rulers riding their steeds, one from the east and one from the west, on a collision course directly toward one another. By the end of the week, these two will collide, blood will be shed, and one of them will be killed by the other. And it will seem for all of those that are looking on, that Rome does indeed have the last word. Palm Sunday is more political than we'd like to imagine. Today's text offers us a choice of two rulers, a governor who represents the strength and dominance of the Roman Empire, and a Jewish peasant king who represents God's vision of an alternative world. Rome promises peace. In fact, they claim in all of their propaganda 
that they have established the Pax Romana, this global peace that they have brought to the world. But of course it's a bloody peace, one built and secured by legions of soldiers stationed throughout the empire, with the promise that you'll be brutally tortured or crucified and killed if you threaten to disturb the status quo. There were plenty of Jewish messianic claimants who came to bloody ends in the centuries surrounding the life of Jesus. Jesus, on the other hand, is a humble king who enters the city atop a simple donkey rather than a war horse. The Prince of Peace is accompanied by no soldiers. He has no intention of overthrowing Rome's empire with violent power. And in fact, he will willingly succumb to the violence of Rome to show people an alternative way to live by the end of the week. And he will indeed establish a kingdom that will one day be even bigger than Rome's. By the end of the week, the Jewish authorities will have to make a decision. Side with Rome or side with Jesus. They side with Rome and its violence. They side with the status quo. The challenge before us is to ask ourselves this question. Which ruler will we align ourselves with? By the end of the week, whose side will we be on? I can't help but think as I prepared for today's sermon that the specter of violence continues to hang over our lives and our society today, does it not? In so many ways, more than I can even enumerate in this sermon, but I can't help but think about the violence that occurred this last week in Boulder where a gunman opened fire in a grocery store and killed 10 people. Hosanna, God save us, still rings true. The other end of the spectrum, I can't help but think about this moment this past week where the governor of our state signed into law uh, an abolishment of the death penalty here. Violence continues to entice us with its power, but there can be no true peace that's wrought by violence. Peace, the Hebrew word shalom, wholeness or well-being, can never be secured by violence as much as Rome or America or any of us as individuals would like to hope. Violence will inevitably continue to entice us with its power. But folks, for those of us who call Jesus our Lord and our King and our Savior, we will always be people of peace. Always. That's the challenge. Hosanna. Save us. Save us from violence, God. Show us a different way a way of living in the world modeled on the peace of your Son, a world in which we don't return violence for violence, but rather with love. Hosanna, save us. Look, your King comes to you, triumphant and victorious, yes, but humble and riding on a donkey.
He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off. All of these instruments of violence and war shall be undone in the name of peace. And he shall command peace to the nations. And this peaceful empire shall be from sea to sea and from the river all the way to the ends of the earth. May it be so. May it start with us in our lives and spread to the ends of the earth indeed. Amen.